Welcome to Resource on the Go, a podcast from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center on understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual abuse and assault. I'm Louis Marvin, and I'm the training specialist at the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. On today's episode, we're wrapping up our COVID series, where we explored how our work has fundamentally changed during the pandemic. Today, we'll discuss what we learned and some of our favorite moments from this series. So I just wanted to say hi again. It's me, uh, Mo, and I'm back with Louie and Yolanda. Do you all want to introduce yourselves really quick? Hi, this is Louie. Um, I'm the training specialist at the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. Thanks for having me back, Mo. Hi, this is Yolanda. I'm the director at the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, and I'm excited to participate in this podcast. I'm so glad that we're all back talking together after getting to hear all of the podcasts. I'm wondering if we could start by talking about the connections between health equity and prevention. This is something that I know we talked about last time, but I feel like the podcasts gave some really great examples of what that means and what that connection is. Were there any things that stood out to you two about health equity and prevention? Yeah, Mo, for me, I think that a lesson that I really liked hearing and being reminded of when I heard the conversation that I had with Shade Swift from Black Women's Blueprint about Sisters Van was about how they were so connected to their communities before the pandemic and working to address health inequities. And so that connection to prevention to me is that they had these great relationships in in community and um, they were able to build effective partnerships and and be really responsive. And so I think that that's, um, that's something that really comes through for me in, in terms of being connected to communities, knowing about communities' needs, being able to build good partnerships is so key to prevention and so key to, to addressing health inequities and building health equity. Yeah, it seemed like they were really able to kind of switch things up right away as soon as the need changed. They were like, this is what we have. Here's who we know. How can we be of service and be helpful? really loved hearing about that. I also felt like that was a really nice primer in terms of understanding what is mutual aid. And I was really thinking about the connection of mutual aid and just, you know, like helping each other out and being part of a community with somebody and, um, and the connection between mutual aid and prevention too. So if folks didn't listen to that, I would encourage you to give that a listen to learn more about mutual aid. Yeah, so Black Women's Blueprint um, interview is the one that stand out for me in this part of the discussion when, about mutual aid. Um, is listing so what mutual aid was in all the types of organizations or communities on um, sharing with each other, that stood out to me a lot because my thought process about mutual aid was so limited. Um, I thought of it more in like a business or organization and not people. And that's how many roles, the roles that individuals have in um, supporting each other. And Yamo with the, the, they switched so fast their van on supplying support to people and making the connection. Um, Like even talked about the one organization that um, just supplies formula and diapers. Um, During this time, you know, especially with jobs and and things like that and chain family dynamic changes, to be able to connect with organizations that just supplies diapers and formula 
um, can be um, really, really needed. Um, so yeah, so that's where I, I got right there. Yeah, this idea of being able to pivot and change and kind of create new opportunities also makes me think about the podcast episode with the folks from the North Carolina Coalition Against Sexual Assault and the work that they did on kind of reimagining spaces and and talking about emergent spaces and how you can change up the prevention work you're doing. That to me felt very dreamy and filled with possibilities. What did you all think about that one? I, I like that. It, it, it reminded me of some of our conversations that we're having here with us. So I was able, it was a, a lot relatable to that on reimagining how we do things because specifically around this time with COVID that you have to think on your feet and, and pivot pretty quickly because those spaces completely look different than what they, our spaces now completely look different than what they did in 2019, right? So um, with the examples that were just given, um, just makes it tangible and that we can do this and and why not? You know, why not reimagine how we do things? Why not change how we do things? Why not um, meet people where they're at? And um, that means that we have to change if we're gonna meet people where they're at. Um, yeah, so I, I like the examples in that way that prevention can look different. Um, it does not have to look the same in how we used to do things. Um, as people talk about, oh, going back to normal, whether, you know, for me personally, there is no going back to normal, um, but that we can reimagine what tomorrow looks like and how we do things tomorrow and how we connect with different communities. Yeah, Mo, I liked that you said it sounded dreamy. I had the same reaction. I was like, this vision is amazing. <laughs> and something that I really liked that Chris said was something about how can I help people sort of asking about their own space of like being in the role that they're in. So Chris had said like something like, how can I help people in power understand the work happening on the ground and asking how can I help people on the ground understand how to navigate complicated systems designed to preserve power. Um, so I really liked that reflection for, for oneself to ask. And I think that's something that probably every listener can ask. Certainly every listener who works in a sexual assault prevention role or works in the formal uh, movement to, to end sexual violence. And um, just knowing that we have access to systems that are designed to be designed to keep going the way that they have been going. And so demystifying those systems and um, bringing grassroots work into those systems when possible is I think a really cool um, example that Chris gave us. Yeah, I agree. There's so many opportunities for us to be, I don't know, I think about it a lot like being a translator of where do we have power and where can we use that in, in a helpful way? And also how can we talk about what is happening in ways that are understandable for people? So Louie, what you were saying about Chris's comment about demystifying systems really makes me think about two of the podcast episodes, one where Tanji Reese from 1124 was talking about her focus on media literacy during this time, and then also the folks we talked to from um, the Harbor Abuse, Abuse and Trauma Center about the consent lessons that they've been creating and how those are really shifting to fit these times. So what stood out to you about 
hearing about their work. Was there anything really exciting that you heard from Tanji and Rebecca and Monica and Azure? Yeah, I I really liked that Tanji was zooming out and talking about how um, something people can do right now is get technology to people who don't have it. So I think sometimes we can focus on, when we're talking about media literacy, we can assume that everyone has the same access to, to media to do media literacy work around. But Tanji rightly pointed out that we can get tech to people who don't have it um, so that we can you know, exist in the same online space. Um, and then, you know, just Tanji's encouragement about thinking about who's missing, people who don't have quiet space um, or a computer or other kinds of access. So to me, that was kind of a theme throughout lots of the podcasts is making sure people's needs are met, people's access needs, people can connect during COVID to, to do the kinds of prevention activities that, um, that we know are so important. That's such a good point. We've talked a lot, I know, here at NSVRC about how do we move our prevention online and how do we do that? And I think sometimes if we if we just jump to that, then we miss that really important piece of who doesn't have access to that? Or is that going to be a thing that everybody is able to access in a way that that will help them be able to connect and do prevention? I'm glad you brought that up. That was definitely an important takeaway. Yeah, so when you talk about access and the different learning of, of individuals and bringing our prevention online, it just makes me think of our Seattle partners with Azure, Monica, and Rebecca, and how they went about um, creating the curricula for the school system um, and taking in consideration on how people learn and having videos and um, space for it to be private and having text and just all these different formats of learning mixed in the curriculum is, is really important um, when we're talking about sexual health and um, consent and things like that, um, you know, healthy sexuality, that conversation looks different for folks and how we internalize it. And I think they really gave those options um, and making it accessible in that way and thinking through So this is personal for me and just thinking through because the, the age range, the grade was sixth, seventh, and eighth. And my daughter is in eighth grade. And when they were talking, I'm I'm like intrigued and like, oh my goodness, I can't wait for, for these videos to come out so that that can be something that I can share with my daughter because it's not offered in her school system. Um, and it's a hard conversation for parents to have with their teenage kid. And um, can their, or will their kid receive them in that way because they're their parent? So um, I heard it on from a parent standpoint too, like, oh man, I can't wait to get my hands on this. Um, and be able to share it in my own household. And that's the beauty of things being brought online, even from somewhere, um, you know, I'm in Pennsylvania and they're in Washington, but to have access to a, such a great resource that they're developing, um, like I can't wait for that on a personal level. So um, I know the field can't wait for that too. And to just have something offered like that in the school system would be great. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's It also shows, I think, a nice example of how people are really pivoting quickly and how if we have a nice base of knowledge and connection, then we're better situated to be able to make those quick changes and dream up new ways of, of doing the work. I know that uh, Fort Lewis College is um, the other podcast episode that 
that we could talk about. They really worked with a student to, actually, I should say, the student, Allie, um, brought up an indigenous principle from her own um, family and culture as something that could help the school move forward in terms of preventing COVID. And I know that was something that really um, stuck with a lot of us after listening to it. Yeah, one of the things that, like, so the discussion with um, Allie uh, and the Fort Lewis College, like, hit me on a very internal, personal level um, and that I didn't think I was going to have as many emotions attached to an interview as I did. But um, with the, the human connection and the the transparency that Ali brought to the conversation and brought to the college just really touched me because um, it related to my mom and my own upbringing and how my mom views the world and how my mom views connection and, um, and our family faith. And, and so it brought up those dynamics for me. And it um, so, and as I continued to listen to the interview, um, so I felt really warm and fuzzy uh, as just a human um, listening to the interview. And then um, I then also felt sad at the end because, you know, as some organizations do, I, I felt like the, the knowledge that Allie brought and the skill that Allie brought um, wasn't, and this is me personally talking, wasn't honored in the way that I would have liked for it to be honored. And when someone, specifically people from BIPOC communities, give so much of themselves to um, mainstream um, communities, and then um, I think there's just a way that you honor that, and that you speak about that, and that you um, have to be in a place to pour back into them, because you give up so much of you to um, bring people along in your journey, or even just to share so much about your own culture, um, and it just didn't, so again, this is just me. Um, it didn't feel like it was, re, it was, um, respected in that way. And, and so that's just how I felt. And then at the end for her, for, so, and then for folks not to honor their word that you were going to pay her and you didn't, um, that felt horrible at the end. And also, but kudos to Allie for speaking up, like in that interview and saying it right in front of everybody on what the expectations should be and how folks should um, respond to, to individuals that are giving so much of themselves. And because I think what people forget is specifically mainstream organizations or predominantly white organizations, because that's, that's actually what I mean when, I, when I'm using the term right now as mainstream, is predominantly white organizations is that when you're um, when a, when someone from the BIPOC community is giving so much of themselves, is that it's not just about monetary though, because that's not all Allie was talking about. It's also about the feeling of when I go home, did I give too much because I have to now be a part of my community and how they see me, um, and that will live with me longer than any monetary money you know that you have given me is the viewpoint for my community. Am I making a community? feel good about what I did and then also how are you how's that organization um taking in all of this that I gave you and how is that going to be long-term successful or going towards the success of that community 
Um, and I just didn't feel like that was a part of that. And that, that was just, it was just hurtful to kind of, to hear, um, and as my coworkers know, you know, it just teared me up. It just like, it was just hurtful to really hear that, that part. And then thinking about it on a, such a, a broad scale that that happens so regularly that that is for some such a normal practice and a normal experience for, for, um, for people of color, like that we give so much and then it's not, it's not honored in a way that it should be. So it just made me think about um, now moving away from my own personal feelings, but taking that into my own organization and how how do we make sure that we are not that type of organization um so thinking of that on that level on how are we making sure that we are honoring the work of of organizations of color or, or individuals of color and when they come in and pour into us and that we're honoring their resources and uplifting them in such a respectful way and that um and we are also giving credit and giving back and not just using um, so that has stuck out with me um, a lot. And that interview has been a part of, like, it, it's now a part of me. <laughs> and um, and I bring it and I've brought it up. So I listened to the interview on Friday. Um, it is now um, Thursday. And I've probably talked about my feelings with that interview or its influence conversations throughout this week and easily five different meetings that I was in this week. So it's it was pretty impactful for me. Um, on a personal level and a professional level that I want to make sure I'm not, that in my role that I am in, am leading in a way that it is mandatory for us to treat, um, treat people differently and to um, honor our, our folks that are giving so much to us that we are pouring back into them and that it's a reciprocated relationship and that we are just not on the receiving end that we are also giving and that we are compensating people um, emotionally, monetary, um, and in all ways in that um like that's that's something for us to really strive for for always and that someone doesn't walk away um with the experience and again this is might be just Yolanda projecting that Ali had that I received from Ali at the end that if we say we're going to do something, that we need to do it. And uh, we need to ask up front um, what people need and um, honor what someone needs. I know I talked a lot, but it, this this interview just um, really touched me. <laughs> it, it just did. Yeah. Wow. Thanks, Yolanda. Um, yeah, there was, there was so much with that interview that was really powerful and you talking about what it means for us as as workers, as people who are um, in this field, it, it makes me think of a lot of what Ali said about how, um, like questioning, did I give up too much? Um, as Native people, we feel this all the time, how much is too much, even when you're helping your community, it'd be different if this was a Navajo-centered program, but it wasn't. I'm happy to volunteer my time, but it was free and I was exhausted. So you were talking Yolanda, about, it's not just monetary, but you know, Ali was saying that she was exhausted. And it just makes me think that to underscore something that you were saying about how it's like our job to make sure that we're not doing this, like, because um, if we're not thinking of that up front and doing that up front, you know, then we're putting that back on, on the person who's already giving so much of themselves or the community. Um, and so, and people don't always 
have a sense up front about what's going to happen, especially when they they see like this need and they want to help. Like Ali is talking about, I'm glad to volunteer. I want to help my community. I want I want I see I see something that is needed, um, and so it really is up to organizations like ours and probably organizations where our listeners work at to kind of already know that compensation and respect is um, something that you need to be prepared to offer right away and not wait for the person to address the fact that that would that actually would have been really good and important um, like it should never have even gotten to to that point yeah and, and I want to say out loud you know even about the college um, this isn't meant to to beat them down or anything like that. This is a lesson learned for all of us. And so that's how I also take the all of the interviews. Actually, it's taking the lessons that have learned for from our partners and how can we do better? Right. Um, what can we what can we get from it? What, we don't have to experience that because they've already told us. So what can we take from that? And um, and then also I want to show we have honest conversations on here, you know, um, that this didn't feel good. And it's okay for us to say that something didn't feel good um, or that we didn't agree with something. That's okay to say um, as we take in all of these different experiences and then we learn from them. Um, so, so that's where I take this from. It's not a critique on any particular um, organization. Um, it's more about um, what can we learn and how can we do better? Because um, I'm from even why they talked about the campaign that they ran, there was a lot of good that came out of it and the community took on. I'm talking about the internal part and how we work with people. I'm not talking, the outcome was great. And a lot of times outcomes are great, but that, that BIPOC community person, in like in the, the experiences of listening, it walks away less and not full. And the organization they worked with walked away full. So I'm saying we both are supposed to walk away full, being completely fulfilled in that we feel important and we have made a connection. And specific is particularly around the time that we're in right now with COVID-19 and how it's running through um, different communities in the hurt and um, the health inequities that it continues to highlight that this isn't the time for us to um, not make sure that our partners are walking away full um, in all that they are giving to, to us. I, I wanna, I just wanna put that, it's a disclaimer, but put that disclaimer out there and that that's not my intent, that's not our intent, but we also don't wanna sugarcoat either. This isn't the time for sugarcoating stuff, um, but we wanna say what it is and, and how we learn from the experiences that are shared with us. So we are not repeating um, and continuing to cause hurt harm. Yeah, there's so many things to learn from this. And it's, this is one of the reasons why I love being able to do these podcasts is just to hear from people in this really hard time of COVID. Like, what are the things that, that you are learning? What are the things that you've been able to, to take away from things? And um, I really like what you said, Yolanda, about wanting everybody to leave full and not, I think that's something that we definitely strive for in our work, but just listening to that interview made me think, what are the things that I'm missing? And what are the things that I need to be thinking about? Um, you know, we're pretty clear about paying people for 
the participation and the work that they are giving to us. Like, you know, we're paid for this work, so we need to pay other people for their knowledge and work and expertise. Um, but it's also making me think of like, how else can we bring in um, some really good conversation and, and boundary setting at the beginning so that everybody really does feel good about what they're sharing. Um, and even giving people a chance maybe at the end to be like, oh, I, I don't feel good about that. Maybe we can switch this up. So there's a lot that I feel like I'm taking away and going to be changing in my own work as a result of listening to the podcast. And so I want to also ask you two that question. It's, it's something that we've been asking people in the podcast is like, what's changed for you as a result of COVID or what are you, um, what are you changing in your work or how can people really pivot to include health equity? And so I'm wondering if there's anything for the two of you that you're going to change um, since listening to the podcasts. Yeah, I think that's such a great question. We are in this time of reimagining how we do everything. And so I think that particularly from the conversation we had with NC CASA around emergent spaces, but really all of them have really prompted me to think further around, well, what what's the point? Why, why are we doing things this way? Are we keeping something going that doesn't make sense and isn't um, isn't serving people well, is perpetuating health inequity? Um, are we um, struggling to, um, what's the phrase around like paddling above water? I don't know that I'm saying it right, but are we just, are we treading water because this is a really scary time and we're just trying to keep things as they are? Or are we really thinking about, well, why are things this way that they didn't, they didn't work very well. They haven't worked very well, um, particularly for Black and Indigenous and other people of color. So, um, so yeah, I think I think just continuing to question and ask, like, well, what's the point? Why why are we doing this? Do we have to do it this way? Could we do it a different way? Um, why are we so invested in the systems that we're invested in? Yeah, Louis, I really like that part. Um... Because I think, well, not I think, I know personally for me, um, with their reimagining um, how I do things, that's a personal thing and also a professional um, space to be in on, you know, because sometimes the, the comment will be, oh, that's how we've always done it. Okay. But it is okay for us to change that, especially if we expect a new outcome. That if we expect an outcome of equity, then we can't keep doing how we did it because if that worked, we would already have equity, but it didn't work. Um, so that's the reason why we have health inequities because how we were doing things um, or how we are doing things doesn't really work for everyone. So um, to reimagine how we do things and kind of really push back on the thought process on that's what we used to do. Um, or that's what we've always done, but to really think through what does that mean and who is it helping, who is it serving? And um, yeah, so that's the part that I come to for there. And then uh, me personally, what I took away from it is the um, the way that the organizations pivoted so quickly and went straight into, okay, what is the need and how can I fill it? And if I can't fill it, how can I make a connection 
for them so it can be filled. It was so quick and it just felt like um, second nature. Um, that is exactly how um, they went about things. And then the mindfulness part, the human part, the emotional part, the spiritual part about it um, is that that is important also. And for us to be mindful of that, it's not always, um, sometimes the need that someone has has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with a product. It just need, the need is human need, um, human connection. Um, and uh, in being there for someone um, during that time, uh, I remember talking to a colleague and they hadn't had a hug in a year. Hadn't had a hug in a year because their family lives across the United States and they have been isolating all this time because they have a, you know, a, a, a health concern that they really needed to isolate. So they hadn't had a hug in a year. So when I think of that space of um, just being mindful of where people are at, um, it can be quite different from you. And, um, and to, to make sure that we have a space of grace for each other um, and that uh, being human and just connecting on that emotional and spiritual level is very important during this time. And that for us to remember that, that it's not always about um, the money or the product. Yes, people need, you know, hey, um, mask and all those different things. We absolutely need all of those things. We need diapers, we need formula, we need food. Um, but we also just need some kindness and some, um, some support. This is great. Thanks for sharing those things. I feel like I'm gonna really take away similar things to both of you. And I'm also thinking about this thing you said at the very beginning, Yolanda, at our first podcast episode about how um, COVID-19 has not, it hasn't been this great equalizer. It's been really showing the inequities that exist and how you'll probably have to rephrase it and tell me the, the real way you said it. But it's this idea that like, if you can't see the connections now, if you can't see the racism now, if you can't see the health inequity now, then it's at this point, it's a choice not to see it. Like you're, you're choosing not to see it. And I feel like a lot of that came up a lot in, in listening to these podcasts as well is like, um, but in listening to these podcasts, it really made me think about that choice and how we, we really have a choice, whether we, you know, learn from what we're hearing and learn from the great work that other people are doing and help ourselves be able to recognize the inequities that are out there and say it and name it and really be able to pivot our work because that's what's needed. So I, I just kept thinking about that the whole time I was listening to all the, all the episodes. I don't know if I said it right. Yeah, I think you said it just fine, Mo. Um, that, that's the, that's a star for me. Like when I'm thinking, like when I write notes, if, if it's a point that I always want to make, I always put a star beside it. Um, like the ignorance, like people can be, there's like, oh, they're blissfully ignorant. No, not anymore. That is absolutely a choice. Um, and I don't want to make that choice. I want to use the, the knowledge that's being given to me and make a different choice. And um, at the end of the series, that's what, um, you know, that's where I started at. And that's where I'm ending at is how to use these experiences and do better um, and, and be better. Like as an individual, as a leader, as a coworker, shoot, as a mom, as a partner, the whole nine and just be better um, as, a, as a whole person uh, in, in through this, 
this series, it just continues to just bring that part up. Um, it's like, how do we just be better humans and connect to each other in such a, a more kindful, um, kindful way and be more deliberate in the way that we connect with each other and more deliberate in the way that we try to improve our spaces and move from talk to action. And that's what I, I really enjoyed hearing about with all of our um, partners is that they were all about action. It moved from just talk, jumping right into action, like having conversation, yes, to make sure things went well, but to um, that's the pivot part is like, how much time are you spending in just talking um, instead of just moving straight into to action. So um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this series. That's what I'm coming to. I enjoyed this series. It made me think a lot. Um, yeah, I did too. Thank you both so much for being willing to like do this intro and outro. This is kind of a new thing for us to try, but we always have so much to talk about. I want to say, especially when the three of us get together, we have really good conversations. So I know that was our hope in bringing it to this series as well. So yeah, when the three of us got together um, initially to talk about the series coming up, we said we really hoped that people would be inspired by all of the examples that folks shared throughout the series. And we'd love to hear from you if you were inspired by the examples to do something different or creative in your work to address health inequities in your community. And you can email us at prevention at msvrc.org to tell us about it. And we'd really love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resource on the Go. For more resources and information about preventing sexual assault, visit our website at www.nsvrc.org. You can also get in touch with us by emailing resources at nsvrc.org.